Did you um did you get a workout in today? You do you did a what? Get any workouts in today? Workouts. Yeah, like a, did you get did some physical exercise? Nah, nah, nah. Just oh, go up okay. downstairs. Well, your, <laughs> your son your son keeps bragging he lifted he deadlifted 150 kilos. Oh, I know. He wants the, he wants everyone to know. I know. So I didn't know if it ran in the family if you nah. not doing deadlifts at Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to the Third Space Studio and back to the Chip Lunch podcast. And I'm excited to have our second guest for 2022, uh, Pete Crawshaw. Welcome. Thank you very much. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Excellent. Uh, we. Uh, how are you? Oh, I'm fantastic now that you're on there and oh. you're also on this podcast, and you've also asked me how I am. So, yeah. thank you very much. Well, that's what we used to do. <laughs> <laughs> used to what? Go on podcast? <laughs> no, 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 no. Ask ask people how they were. Yeah. Okay. But uh, when I got to Australia, it changed a little bit. Did it? Because people would say, "How are you?" and you'd start to answer them, and they'd just carry on walking. And they see you later. Greeting, you <laughs> yeah, know? that's right. It is like that in Australia, isn't it? Yeah. Um, now, I was just reflecting before uh, we get into the main questions that we always like to ask at every at the start of every episode. Is that um, last week I was talking to Jabish, and he was saying that uh, we, there is quite a bit of rain going on on the uh, on the roof of Sorovival Church at the moment, guys. Just if you're wondering what that noise is, but I was saying to Jabish that I thought he was the first. Uh, uh, him and his wife had been on the podcast and I got that wrong because it was actually Michael and Ange were first but then your wife Bev has also been on the Chip Lunch so you're the third you're, you're the third, third couple, couple to come on so mm. congratulations for that yeah, and you. of course before we also ask the question we should also bring out Nikki's picture yeah. which we can see uh, do you, you want to run your eye over that and do you have any thoughts on that Pete before we looks as though she's more talented than I am <laughs> And uh, my wife paints too, so does she? I'll get her to do one for you. Oh, that would be great. But, uh, we'll put that up in the third space yeah, studio as well. It'd be yeah. fantastic. Yeah, well, that looks good. Although it reminds me of COVID, like you, <laughs> you know, with all those dots. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what it was described by Nikki's one of Nikki's friends as COVID with leaves. Is that right? Yep, COVID <laughs> with leaves. So that's what it looks like. Anyway, uh, that's always in the studio, but we'll just put it down there for, for the time being. <laughs> <laughs> um, Didn't toss it, Nick. No, no, not at all. It's it's in fine working order. I'm sure it will be auctioned at Sotheby's at some point, right? For a, for a, for a, for a large price. Fair enough. Yeah, not really, yeah. but anyway. Uh, Nikki described uh, her paint sip as the karaoke of the painting world. So oh. people, as people drink more, they think they get better and better. Which is, is that right? Yeah, which, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> anyway, yeah. let's get into the episode, Pete. Um, right. The first question we always ask is, how do you like to have your chips? Hot well, chips, sorry. I should, should clarify that, hot chips. When I was thinking about that just then, when you told me that I thought it was going to happen, I, uh, I thought the time I used to have them when I was a young kid mm. was probably my favourite time because we used to go to the seaside, as we called it, yeah. uh, to the... Uh, to the beach, effectively. Where was where was that? That was in England, obviously. Yeah, in England. Where, where to Blackpool at? or Black. to Scarborough mm-hmm. or to Cleethorpes, mm-hmm. and we could only go once a year. So uh, we we'd go down, and then they, we used to buy our fish and chips, and they used to serve it in uh, newspaper. In the newspaper, mm-hmm. and we used to walk down the promenade, and it was lovely. It was a beautiful time. Sounds nice. And uh, uh, at least we got 
chip shop peas too then in those days, mushy peas. Oh, and yes. uh, So I used to love my mushy peas. So I still have periodically mushy peas. <laughs> but I did like the idea when I got to Australia that they'd already invented um, pre-cooked chips. Oh, yeah. Um, we hadn't. So over in England at that time, in Sheffield anyway. And uh, so we used to wait 20 minutes up to half an hour for fish and chips. It depends uh, how, how busy they were. I'd even used to watch them peeling the potatoes at some stage. Really? Know. But uh, when I got here, we got it all done in 10 minutes and that was wonderful. But then I found out later that, uh, you know, I, I, I changed again because we went, I took uh, Ethan to McDonald's one day and uh, the girl said, that'll be a three minute wait for the chips. And I went, oh. <laughs> I couldn't even wait three minutes then. You know? yeah. <laughs> so we're very instantaneous now, yep. but I still love my chips. Do you have, uh, uh, what condiments do you like to have with them? And is there any particular way you like them cooked or it's just like you'll, you'll Well, I used to like them in the lard and stuff. But in the, lard? Yeah. Well, it was in the fat and whatever that they had in the fish and chip shop. Now, of course, they don't have that same yeah, sort of thing. It's cooked not, in oil. It's not, good for, it's not yeah. good for you, you know. Yeah, supposedly. Uh, but uh, no, no, I usually have them fairly plain. Oh, with HP sauce sometimes. Oh, yeah. Now, do you know, what is HP sauce? Houses of Parliament. Houses, that's what it's called. I didn't know that was why it was called There's HB a picture sauce. of ben, uh, Big Ben on the, on the, oh, on the thing. So was it invented for the Houses of Parliament? No, 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 no. It's just a, it's just a hot sauce, a dark sauce. It's not, not going any tomato in it as far as I know. <laughs> How is it different to barbecue sauce? Uh, well, it's uh, darker than that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll give you a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> and you can try it. Yeah, okay. I probably uh, won't like it. <laughs> One more question about the chips, though. What type of salt do you like? I just go for plain salt yes, if I have any salt. That's what I like to hear. But there's uh, a, there's a bit of a even, these days the doctors tell me all sorts of things are not right for me. So oh, right. they tell me I get too much salt and stuff, and they tell me I get too much of this and that and other. Yeah. So Does that make uh, you feel like assaulting them? Not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, they've got my best interest to start. But, uh, okay. There's a bit of a battle on the Chip Lunch podcast between myself and Ethan and Braden when they're on, and it's because... Um, they like chicken uh, salt. They like chicken salt, yeah. Uh, and I'm a no, I'm plain I'm salt never, guy. I never have chicken yeah, salt. Yeah, I like plain salt and tomato sauce. That's what I like. So I really confuse the guys when they serve you because they say, which salt do you want? And I said, no salt, thanks. And oh, yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> they don't, they don't no have salt. many. They don't have many. Does that mean you put salt on every individual chip as you take it out of the packet? You, you put the salt no, on? No, these days I don't put salt on, period. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. That's Sorry fair. about that. Doctor's orders. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you get to 77, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit harder to talk about survival. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're looking good for 77. You're a very active man for 77, I must say. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate like that. Like gardening and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's important. You've got to keep moving as you get older, I Not think. when it's raining, though. No. 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 You don't put a big hat on and just go out there? No. You don't want to do that. No. <laughs> it would be quite unpleasant to garden. I mean, I'm not a big gardener. My wife is very much into gardening, but I think it would be quite unpleasant to garden in the rain. It's, it's missing the point of gardening, Well, I it's feel. all your clothes get dressed, yeah. drenched. And know. it's doing the watering for you. So you may as well wait until it's finished. That's right, exactly. All right, next question that yeah. we always like to ask. How did you become a Christian? Oh, well, um, 
We often say that we were Stuart's first converts. Stuart, <laughs> yeah. um, he's the senior pastor of Solver Bible Church. That's right. He's your son. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what happened was that uh, I went to Sunday school till I was about nine, and uh, then we moved house uh, to a new estate, and the nearest church was too far away to go, so I she- never went to Sunday school. In Sheffield, though, sorry. Yeah, Is that Sheffield. right? Sheffield in England. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I... Uh, I had to catch a bus to go to Sunday school sort of thing, you know, if I wanted to go, because we never had a car or anything in right. England. And so uh, he, uh, we, we, we hadn't been going to church and everything, but we were what were probably clusters in those days, four-wheel churchgoers. Have you heard of that phrase no, before? What does that mean? Uh, most of the time you went to church, it was for a christening when people went in a little pram with four wheels on it okay. or it was to a wedding where they went in the wedding car with four <laughs> wheels on it or they went to a funeral where they went to in with a hearse, the hearse <laughs> with the four wheels on it okay. so you were four wheel churchgoers right. and the majority of the population were that uh, but we all thought well the big majority of people thought that uh, you still had to christen your kid mm-hmm. when he was born so Stuart was born and we had to find a church to christen our kid mm-hmm. And my mother-in-law, she, uh, she decided that uh, we, we should try a, a guy called Barry Fairfax because he was a real larrikin guy. He, uh, Sounds like it with that name. Yeah, well, he was a, he was a what do they call him, life member at Wonder Surf Club and uh, he was a real larrikin and uh, he worked in the factory with, under a sort of thing where she was uh, the manageress thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said he's a lovely guy. But he's got this religious bit now and he's going to college and he's, they were planting a church at Woolaware, right. a little congregational church at Woolaware by South Cronulla. And he, he, he accepted the Lord at a beach mission on Cronulla Beach, uh, run by the congregational church. And uh, so we went along and saw him and uh, he asked us, uh, he said, well, yeah, sure, I'll christen your kid. He said, but uh, you've got to come to these classes sort of thing. So... We went to the classes and he challenged us with all the usual questions about what was a Christian and I told him what I thought and he told me what he thought and there was a lot of difference <laughs> and uh, with all the questions sort of thing. So, uh, uh, but he challenged us and then one day he gave us this little prayer to say if we, a little prayer of repentance. So Bev and I one night decided to say this prayer so we got out of bed and knelt down at the side of the bed because that's what you thought Christians did, kneel, kneel down in those days, you mm. know. And uh, so we said this prayer together. And then she looked up at me and she said, uh, anything happen? <laughs> and I looked up equally sheepishly and said, no. <laughs> anything happen with you? She said, no. I said, so we got into bed and read our books. You know? <laughs> but we did go back to see Barry the following week and we said to him, well, no tapping, Barry. Note, by the way, is Yorkshire for nothing. Note, yes. Yeah, note and note. <laughs> note is anything and note is nothing. Okay. And uh, so note happened. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for a blinding flash of light or something, mm-hmm. you know. Struck by uh, lightning. Yeah, yeah. Or I had a friend that actually later on, I had a friend that fell over a twig in the bushes and uh, he heard a voice, you know. And... Uh, I thought, well, why am I tired in here like that? Yeah, but right. I never did. Yeah. <laughs> never have had. You know? <laughs> never had me blinding flash of light. But anyway, and uh, uh, and we accepted the Lord, and uh, we just thought that's what we have to do now, you know. And uh, 
Barry said, well, you've got to learn more. And we said, right, so what do we do? And he says, well, why don't you teach Sunday school? Because it was only a small little church. And uh, we said, I said, I don't know anything yet. <laughs> to I teach. Said, How can we teach? He <laughs> said, what a great way to learn. He said, teach. He said, learn it in the week before and teach it on the weekend. <laughs> right. And I said, right. So that started us off with 39 years of teaching Sunday school sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how we became Christians, and uh, yeah, wow. then he christened our Stuart. So that's why we say he, we were his first converts. Oh, that's, a, that's a cool thing to say. Mm. So um, can you paint a picture for me where you grew up in Sheffield? What was it like there? Well, the first place I was at was in uh, a place called Attercliffe. That's without an H. <laughs> okay. Then we moved to Ackenthorpe, and that's with an H. <laughs> okay. okay, I can't pronounce my H's. Oh, really? No. Well, I tried. Yeah. When, I, when I became a JP, I had to swear allegiance to Her Majesty, Her Heirs and Her Graces, and there was all these H's in it, and I couldn't <laughs> say them all. And I'm in front of about 200 people in a court, and the magistrate, I went quiet uh, when I got to the Her uh, Grace and all that sort of stuff, and uh, uh, he said, oh, we didn't hear you, Mr. Croshaw, and he thought I was, because it was at a time when they had just started talking about... Uh, we shouldn't have to swear to the Queen and all this sort of jazz, you okay. know. And, uh, so they thought you were one of those. And they thought I was one of those because mm. I went quiet, so he made me do it again oh. <laughs> and do it louder. <laughs> <laughs> and, but my wife had already spent three hours on the floor laughing her head off while I, tra- I stood in front of a mirror trying to work out how to say an H in the right place. <laughs> anyway, coming back to your question, yeah. I was... Um, I was uh, brought up in Attercliffe, which was probably the worst area of Sheffield, and Sheffield was not a not a particularly bright spot anyway. It's a very a very working class town. Very much, mm. very much. I mean, I don't know whether you've ever seen the movie Full Monty, but that was based on uh, that was based on Sheffield, where they'd all lost their jobs, all the mines had closed, the steelworks. Was that around ten, the eighties? That mm. happened. Yeah, ten thousand people had. Uh, lost their job in one week in the steelworks sort of thing, you know. And I remember as a young kid sitting there, probably, you know, about seven or eight, and I was sitting there wondering if I would follow my dad into the steelworks or follow my grandfather into the mines Mm. uh, because that's the only two options I saw at that time. And uh, I decided on the mines because my grandfather was better off than we were. We only had a... Two, two rooms upstairs and two rooms downstairs and a cellar as our house in a little terrace. Shared a backyard with seven or eight other houses. And they had their own little front and backyard. The front yard was not much bigger than this table, <laughs> but the backyard was a little bit bigger and it had a it had a uh, air raid shelter in it from the war. Really? And so we used to try and play in there when they weren't looking. <laughs> but uh, he had a bay window and he had three rooms upstairs and three rooms downstairs so that was a real big house to me at that time but then when I was nine uh, we let let me say when we left England 80% of the population of Sheffield lived in council houses Mm. we got to Sydney and 10% of the people lived in corporation homes the equivalent renting so 80% of the population was... Uh, mm. That the, would be the English version of a house, housing commission? Yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Well, there was the, the council was the one that you rented them from. Yep. They don't have as many governments over there as we have out here. 
I couldn't believe we had two different governments in each state, plus two in the federal. I mean, <laughs> we had far too many uh, politicians sort of thing, you know, yeah. um, per head of population. I mean, there was only 10 million people in Australia when we got here, and um, we made it 10, 000, uh, 10 million and two. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, uh, we went on to a new estate. Sheffield had... Uh, was building all these new estates and uh, we got our own little garden and a three up a three bedroom home uh, my mother used to love to brag about the fact that she had a farmer's field at the bottom of our yard and uh, she'd never told anybody that you could see the slag heap from the mine at the <laughs> other side of the farmer's field but, <laughs> but uh, we uh, so we, it was very very uh, working class sort of area and so mm. forth but the government had introduced a um, uh, an 11 plus when you got to the age of 11 in year six you took an exam and if you passed the exam you went to grammar school and if you failed the exam you went to secondary school right now no one in my family had ever been to university for instance or anything like that at that time I didn't anyway, but my cousin did. But uh, we were the first two that had a chance to go. And uh, she, because uh, we both passed our 11 pluses, and they taught things like Latin, mm. where you had to have Latin to go to university at that time. Mm. Didn't matter what course you were doing at university, you had to have Latin as one of the subjects you had. And uh, that changed while I was still at high school into a... Um, a foreign language, but you must have a foreign language in your list sort of thing. Yep. And uh, so, but it meant that I had to go uh, 14, 16 miles away to Chesterfield, because we were technically living in Derbyshire, even though we we're in Sheffield. It's been changed now to Yorkshire, but at that time we'd spilt, up, spilt over. Mm -hmm. So they had to educate us, the Derbyshire County Council had to educate us instead of the Sheffield County Council. Right. <coughs> So I had this special bus that I had to go on every day for an hour each way to go to school. And the first time I walked in, you might think I've got an accent now, but the <laughs> first time I walked into school, I said to this uh, senior kid, I said, can you tell me where Mr. Asluck is, please? And he looked at me and he said, oh, you're one of the Sheffield kids. I said, Sheffield kids, how did you know I came from Sheffield? This is because you talk funny. Because <laughs> we had a different accent to the kids from Chesterfield. Yeah, right. And uh, we were much broader. Um, and uh, I often said to people, if they ever just open, I'll tell us to do it for the same. Things like that. That's broad Yorkshire. <laughs> and uh, the. Um, I don't mean it, of course, because I'm saying if you ever do anything for nothing, always do it for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it was. Uh, I, I tried to lose my accent a bit, and I think it was uh, was hopeless because um, I uh, I was just too inbred as a sort of thing with it. I think, and uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because even when I tried out in year 12, the equivalent of year 12, it was year 6 for us, but it was oh, form 6 in the juniors. Form, yeah, 6th yeah, form and, yeah. But uh, year 12, uh, we put a play on in Darmstadt in Germany 
because our, 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 the, the town of Chesterfield had a sister town called Darmstadt. After the war, all these towns, just like they did out here with the Japanese towns, mm. a lot of towns out in Australia have had a, a sister town yeah. in uh, Japan. And so we, uh, we put this thing on. But uh, I, I auditioned for it and failed miserably. Oh, I didn't get the part? I didn't get the part. But they decided that I'd make a good stage manager. Oh. So I went over as stage manager. But then I forgot my passport. <laughs> so I had to be smuddled out of England. Oh, no, we got out of England with permission. Smuddled into Belgium. Smuddled out of there into Germany. And while I was over there, my mum and dad were asked to sit, post me my uh, passport. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, it took them three days to decide whether or not to send it to get me back. You know, <laughs> <laughs> not really, not really. But uh, yeah, so I can honestly say I hid behind the headmaster one time, and hid behind about five of my friends and whatever. You and uh, the, with the guard that got on in Germany with a gun over his shoulder and everything. Wow, it's quite exciting. That's then when we got place. back That's to like a spy story. Yeah, and when we got back to England, I'm stood in the line, and we're all in uniform, and I'm stood in my line. I put my passport down, and the guy said, "Where you been? Yeah, where'd I you said, come from? With, that, with them?" He said, "But you got no stamps in your passport." I said, "Oh." I've, done, I've been done, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Because that would have been Cold War times, right, when you're going to Germany? Yeah, yeah. Well, Germany was still an ally then, yeah. of course, you know. But oh, Western, uh, Western Germany, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What time, what, sorry, what year is that around that time? That was 63. Okay, yeah. 63. So, yeah, you, yeah. But Darmstadt, I'm guessing, is in Western Germany. West Germany? Yeah, yeah. But um, it was a situation where, I mean, you know, it was... Just the same as everywhere else people got, got on. I mean, my my cousin married uh, a German prisoner of war. Wow. Uh, because after the war, the people going back to East Germany didn't want to go. Mm. Uh, they would just want to go back to Ger West Germany. And uh, Stalin argued with Ch Churchill and uh, Eisenhower and so forth. And uh, they he won. And they had to send them back, and he had to send the poles back. But it took them two years to work all that out. And I think they shot most of the poles when they went back. Mm. And uh, it was terrible, Stalin. Mm. But anyway, uh, and uh, so Gunter was a prisoner of war for two years after the war had finished. Oh, okay. And he was working on a building site. And uh, he uh, used to go down to the local shop to buy his cigarettes and drinks for and whatever you know and my cousin was serving behind the counter <laughs> and uh, he started to date her yeah right. so she was dating a prisoner of war and my uncle tried to sponsor him but wasn't allowed he had to go back and three yeah. weeks later he escaped and came back to england because it was easier then there wasn't a a wall there at the mm. time you know mm. and uh, he got back and uh, I've Uncle went down to London and sponsored him, and he came up and married my cousin. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so, yeah. So it was. There was a lot of interchange and everything, mm. you know. But uh, it sounds like you, you look back on that time rather fondly, though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, as a child, I was an only child, so mm. I had the usual syndromes. I had an oldest child syndrome and the youngest child syndrome <laughs> and the middle child syndrome so i was a bit mixed up but other yeah. than that i i think i was very very fortunate yeah it sounds like a, a reasonably tough 
area to grow up in, but it's like yeah, you, we you had found, our gangs you f- and you found yeah. your way. But yeah, yeah. there's a big. But when out. I went to Chesterfield, that's where my, my, my horizons started to turn up. Okay. That that day was very traumatic for me. That day when that kid said to me, "Oh, you're a Sheffield kid because you talk funny." Uh, I went home and I said to my mum, "I said, I talk funny, mum." <laughs> and she said, "Nah, it's them that talk funny, lad." <laughs> and she said. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the first time I realised I didn't talk like the guy on the BBC, you know, uh-huh. uh, because everybody talked like me. And is that it, sort. did that play into, you talked to the story about telling the H's, like not being able to say H's, That's right. is that part yeah. of it? Mm. Yeah, the whole, the, most of Sheffield at that time didn't say H's, it's Yorkshire accent. Yeah, you know? and you can't, even, you can't even help it, you just grew up around it. Yeah, so. yeah. So, uh, it, uh, and then when you do try and put it on, I mean, I would challenge everyone out there to try and say sentences with lots of H's in them and drop them all <laughs> and then try and put them on again and see where they have to put them on. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite, uh, mm-hmm. it's not, e- not the easiest thing, not no. for me anyway. No, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's if that's, that's how you've grown up and that's what you're used to. It's going to be yeah. very hard to do oh, something yeah. different. Yeah, yeah that's like, what like you, you say, you know, I mean, there was the gangs and there was the, mm. we used to have little fights. I was nine when I left Attercliffe. And the estate was not quite so rough, but uh, um, yeah, it was a rough area. Um, you spoke about obviously going to grammar school, which um, you were the first in your family, along with your cousin, to do that. Was that like you said that your horizon started to broaden there? Well, how did your family react to you being the first well, one to go to grammar? My my grandfather's sister, uh, Auntie Margaret. She uh, she bought me a Parker 51 pe- fountain pen because it was such a wonderful thing that That's I was nice. going to. I took it to the primary school and lost it. <laughs> and uh, I, I was out playing and I lost it. And it was a very expensive pen. Yeah. And uh, they had the whole senior school out on the grounds looking for it. Somebody obviously found it, put it in the pocket. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> took it home. Yeah. <laughs> I never got that again. Mm-hmm. But uh, she was the... Uh, sister of my uncle who was a SP bookkeeper breaking the laws oh and he taught me how not to whip now uh, not he used to give me half a crown every time I went and I uh, so what's a crown half a crown was two and sixpence okay which is 25 cents now okay and it was a it was a little coin coin mm. you know. and uh, if you're if you honestly out there they don't know they're alive with the decimal currency yeah you know, I mean, we used to have to know that there was, uh, s- what was it, s- 12, uh, 12, 12 inches in a foot, in a foot. three foot in a yard, and mm-hmm. 1,760 f- yards in a mile, and uh, so many ounces in a pound, and so many yeah. pounds in a stone. And <laughs> it, doesn't make sen- it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't, but that changed in the 60s here. Right. So in, in the 60s, we took on the French's system of metric mm. and uh, so the speed limit went from 36 kilom- uh, miles per hour to 60 kilometres an hour and all that sort of stuff but uh, everything was and the decimal currency came in. Mm. See when I was a young kid in, in Attercliffe I remember going to the wreck that was the only place there was any green anywhere near me and we used to go to the recreation ground and uh, I'd buy a, a little loaf for a penny you know, we had a coin called a farthing. Mm. There was four of them in a penny, right? Right. And uh, there was two two apennies in a penny. 
um, half pennies they call them, apennies. Okay. And uh, then the pennies went on to shoot sh- twelve in a shilling or something or other. And oh, it's a very complicated yeah, system. I can't even remember. Uh, I think now myself. <laughs> sounds very feud- just just feudal. be thankful you could divide everything by ten or a hundred <laughs> when you're doing it now, <laughs> yeah, there, guys. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, what was your family's reaction to you going to grammar school? Were they? Oh, oh they they're they're very proud. you got the pen, but they were very proud of you. Very proud. Mm. And Marie, and especially when she started and went to uni. That's your cousin. That's my cousin. Mm. Yeah. And you didn't go to university? No, we migrated out here oh, when okay. I was 18. When I finished, I came out here. And uh, I'd, um, the only thing I'd ever done well at school in is uh, maths. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the maths exams a year earlier. So I'd, instead of year 10, I did it in year 9. And I did the uh, HSC part was equivalent. Was I did that in year 11. GCSE? SE? GCE. Right? GCE, okay. GCE. Mm. And uh, I uh, I was going to be an actuary because I thought I was good at maths. I didn't know what an actuary meant. And when I, when I found out later on, I'm glad I didn't. But uh, An actuary is figuring out for insurance? <laughs> yeah, it's all working out all the statistics of anything happening and whatever you've... Mm. So like insurance companies use actuaries yeah, to lot, figure lots out... Lots of people use actuaries. Where they should... What they should be doing, and yeah. yeah, into the future, mm. and uh, yeah. So uh, I, I I only knew there was a S- uh, Sydney University. I didn't know there was any other. <laughs> yep. And in those days, there was only New South Wales anyway, uh, in Sydney. Uh, you know Macquarie and all the rest of them, and the uh, Institute or whatever it was. Mm. Uh, they weren't all universities in those days, so we went along to the university to apply. And uh, they said I wasn't good enough. <laughs> so I went next day to the Labour Exchange, uh, which was the earlier edition of where you go to get jobs now. Oh, of Centrelink. Centrelink. Mm-hmm. And uh, they sent me to the bank, the National Bank, and, uh, and an insurance company. So I went to the National Bank and I got that subject to getting my church reference and... Uh, my paperwork coming from England. So in those days, if you joined the National Bank or any bank, you had to have a church reference. Oh, really? Yeah, my word. And uh, so I didn't know how I was going to get that. <laughs> uh, but uh, thankfully, I'd talked to the chaplain on the ship coming down and uh, we'd had a chat, a few of us, with him. He got on in Perth and came round and tried to help everybody sort of situation. The Anglican Church used to run a chaplaincy that used to just look look after migrants sort of thing, right. you know. Was it because there were a lot of migrants coming to Australia migrants, at the time? A lot of migrants. And uh, we were coming out as Comnomvics, Commonwealth nominated Victoria, which meant that they could put us off anywhere. But we had uh, a, an uncle in Caring Bar that had uh, organised his accommodation so we didn't have to go to an hostel. Right. And so they allowed us to come round to Sydney. Uh, which is what we'd applied for, but they couldn't guarantee that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, I forgot where I was at now, mate. Sorry. Well, I was going to ask you, what made you come over to Australia in the first place? Um, well, I had an auntie and uncle that uh, had friends over here, and they decided to come, and we went to see them uh, before they left, just to say goodbye. It was my mother's eldest brother. Mm-hmm. He was 21 when she was born, by the way. Wow. <laughs> uh, big family. Yeah. And uh, I think my c- grandmother lost two sets of twins that I know of, but uh, and other kids as well. 
during the time. That's a lot of children. But yeah, but she had, uh, she still ended up with seven survivors. Mm. And uh, she, um, my grandfather was a professional uh, comedian on the stage. Really? Yeah, and a quite, a, quite a well-known one. And what was uh, his name? Randall, uh, oh, Joe Middleton, but uh, you wouldn't know him from there. Oh, we'll look him up. But we'll see if we, we can see if we can get some, some there's, of his there's content a, There's a there. type of comedian he was, and there was only about 15 in England. They used to dress special with a cap on and a waistcoat thing with all the buttons and what have you. Yeah. Um, but then his eldest son, the, the uh, uncle that came out to Australia, he his daughter his daughter was the one that married the German, by the way. Okay. And uh, he they 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 said we'll see you in Australia later on, and we said no, fat chance. Yeah, know, that's not happening. No worries. Anyway. They started sending back the Sydney Morning Herald, showing all the jobs available and all the different things and right. telling all these stories and whatnot. And uh, an auntie and uncle came to another auntie and uncle, my uncle jo- Jack and his wife, Joyce. They came uh, for tea one night and they sat there with us all at the table with their kids. And uh, they, uh, they said, with Mum and Dad, we're thinking about going out to this Australia. You know, and mum and dad said, yes, yeah, so are we. And I thought, that's news to me. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Are we? <laughs> so the second uncle and aunt came out. And uh, they came out to Australia six months after Joe and Flo. And then we applied too at the same time, but we, uh, we had to wait for me finishing high school. And uh, then we came out. With your parents? I came out with my parents, mm. yeah. And uh, we uh, we had a five week trip on the boat coming out. And I was gonna say it's not a short trip. No, I remember, no, I remember no. reading about the guys that went to Gallipoli. It's like three months, so yeah. like at least it was a bit quicker than that, but still yeah, a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, we went thirteen days without even sighting land. Right. You know, and uh, crossed the equator and had the the uh, thing. Went down the Suez Canal. I was gonna say you time. must have gone through the Suez Canal. Mm. We. Uh, had a storm in the Bay of Biscay where uh, there were seven people at the, at breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be there used to be three sittings. Well, the Australians that had paid the passage, they were up in first class. We were down in third class, sort of thing, you know. But it was still a tremendous uh, experience, you know, and. Uh, um, you know, when you went to places like Aden and Calcutta and, you know, and saw the squalor and the misery and everything, you know. I mean, there were, there were beggars in Calcutta uh, that they'd just been maimed by their parents. So the, the beggars better, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. It was shocking. But anyway, it's opened our eyes. And we bought our first transistor on the way out. Oh, that's cool. Uh, that was the very first transistor radio we'd ever had. My first uncle that came out, he bought the same thing and he paid £9.10. And uh, we paid, uh, the second uncle came out and laughed his head off because he got it for £8.10. Mm. And we came out and we got it for £7.10. So, you know, the laugh was on us all, I yeah, think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he just had to negotiate with all these people all the time. I was going to say, you guys are better negotiators. That's no, we knew where we were starting from. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I heard someone got it for £8.10. Mm. Yeah. But you see, when we arrived, there was less than 1% unemployment. Mm. Um, 
if it walked and it talked. Several times during my time with the bank, um, if it walked and it talked, you uh, it took it on. You're hired. Yeah, it uh, didn't have to walk forwards and it didn't have to talk English. You know, <laughs> mm. it was just uh, everybody needed empl- uh, workers, and the fantastic thing was that everybody seemed to own their own houses and stuff, or were buying them. You know. Uh, as I just said about the statistics there before, um, I, I used to say uh, for a long time. I used to say every sixteen-year-old Australian should be sent overseas, see what it's like over there, and come back here and appreciate what they've got. Mm. Uh, but we don't. We just simply whinge about what we've got, you know. And uh, the New South Wales government spends over fifty percent of its income on education and in health. And the federal government put money into both too. Mm. And uh, I don't know anybody who's happy with either. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying, that you're saying that we're very lucky, like we should be more grateful for what we have? Very much so. Mm-hmm. Very much so. I mean, when Margaret Thatcher got in and she, mm. uh, she made the councils sell the houses to people that had been renting them for 40 years and this sort of thing, you know, she'd say, you should be selling these people or give them the opportunity to buy. So they do. And so a lot of my relatives have got houses over there. Because that works as a, like a rent-to-buy kind of thing. Yeah, but what it is is that they only get it on a 100-year lease. Oh. They don't get Tone's title. Oh, okay. Right? So you don't actually end up owning it. Wow. You know, I, I said to a cousin one time, I said, uh, you know, I said, uh, you buying your house? He said, yeah, man. I said, what, is a 100-year lease? He said, yeah. He says, you guys laugh at us for that, don't you? And I said, yeah, we do a little bit because we buy it and that's it, Tom's title, mm. you know. He said, well, you think that's funny? He said, we've got a family plot in the local cemetery. So we've only got 30 years to go on that, he says, so I might get in it, but my kids won't. <laughs> 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 so I don't know, mate. I mean, I, I, I could be, you know, out to you. We got our car for the first time. Right. I'd already written my dad's motorbike off. <laughs> and so I wrote his car off. But, uh, I was the one that was taught first. Yeah. Uh, so, because they said, well, my dad had never driven a car before, you know. And so he said, well, we'll get you taught and then you can teach us. So I got my license, then I taught my dad, and then I taught my mum and how to drive, sort of thing, you know. It's a nice story. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's just the things that happen in life. You do what you have to do, mm. don't you? Now, is having your licence, is that like getting the licence first, is that the way you were able to woo your wife, Beth? Well... Through your motor? <laughs> like yeah, call. that was the second car after I've written the first one off. <laughs> it took me 10 years, by the way, to pay that first car off. Really? Ten yeah, because we didn't even know about third-party property and third-party insurance. We just thought the third-party insurance covered it all. So we know our car wasn't worth insuring, so we didn't insure third-party property. So it meant in 1964 I had an accident and wrote off a 1964 Hillman, and the NRMA used to take so much a month from me for the next 10 years. Wow. <laughs> How did you end up writing this car off? Hang on, you actually said you wrote off a motorbike as well. Yeah, well, Are the you motorbike... you have a bad driver? Or you <laughs> no, no, the motorbike, I, I was still on my L's. And uh, I swerved to miss a bit of glass going round a corner and I ran into this brick wall and ran ran up the brick wall. And at one stage I've got the bike upside down between my legs and I'm uh, 
I'm thinking I've got my helmet on. Mm. And uh, uh, it turned right over and landed back on the wheels. Bottled no the wheel. Way. And the and the and the um So you basically flipped it off a wall. Oh, right over. <laughs> People come running across yelling, Is he dead? Is yeah. he dead? Yeah. I thought you would be dead <laughs> on that far out. Yeah. So gotta gotta got something for me planned. And so uh yeah, and the one in Australia, well you had to give way to your right. And I'm going along the Kingsway, uh near Port Hacking Road there. You know Sylvania Road that comes out? I think so. Both sides after Port Hacking Road before going here? Yep. Um, well, this guy admitted he'd come out at 30 kilometres, at, at the speed limit at the time. Uh, he'd got all these blasters in the, in the, um, between his legs <laughs> uh, so that uh, they all smashed. And uh, th- at those stages you had to give way to your right, but there was no tra- traffic lights on there. Or was even stop signs or anything, no, right? No, nothing, yeah. no. And so he'd just come straight out onto the king, across the Kingsway, and I'm going up the Kingsway. Yeah. Well, I was charged for not giving way to my right, number three. There was three different levels where, and that one was when it wasn't really your fault. It was the fault of the other guy. Okay. But I still had to pay his car off. Jeez. And it was his father's car too. And uh, so it was a situation where... We got the next car, and then you said about meeting Bev. Well, mm. there used to be a little dance hall in Gaimia Shopping Centre. Mm. It was the uh, where the sh- Chinese shop, a uh, Chinese restaurant was upstairs and so forth, Malaysian yep. restaurant. Yep. And uh, later, but it was a dance hall at what first up. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, mate. That's all right. And uh, we stopped at the snack bar down below, and me and my mate were in new, the new car. New second end, and we saw this thing upstairs. We were buying cigarettes actually at the time, and the <laughs> and uh, the uh, we went upstairs um, to see what it was like, what was happening, and I saw this good-looking blonde. Of course, she was beautiful, <laughs> and uh, so I asked her to dance, and we were dancing, and then after the second or third dance, the um, and this guy came over and he said to me, he said, uh, he said, uh, he said, she's with me. Oh. So not with you. And I said, I've got more mates here than you have, mate. You better back off. <laughs> and so he did. I'd only got one mate left there. I didn't know how many he'd got. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably like <laughs> it was <ten>. a bluff. <laughs> 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 I started dating Bev. Because that's how, like, 13 months later, we were married. <laughs> wow. Because that's how couples used to meet around that time was the dance hall thing, yeah. right? That was one way, of, mm. yeah, really important. So how long was between uh, you and Bev getting married until you became Christians? Two years. Two years, because that, is that... That's when Stuart was coming. Come. Mm. Two and a half years, I think it was. Mm. Yeah. yeah. She she was a trained uh, trained nurse, and they didn't go to uni in those days. They did train them at hospitals, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, she talked to hospital at... Uh, Canterbury, got in the local papers and everything, it was mm-hmm. lovely. And uh, she um, had got a job when she finished her training, that's when we were going to get married. And uh, we were going to get married in the September. And uh, we went to the, um, she went to the matron and said, well, uh, carrying bar, she said, if I've got the job, can I have 
the time off in uh, September. And the uh, matron said, no, you've got to work 12 months before you can get any mm. time off. Yeah. She said, but we've got a wedding planned. And uh, But anyway, and so we brought the marriage forward six months. Oh, That's why we don't eat. Yeah, we brought it forward till the March. And uh, she... Um, Chinwag started, you know. People started mm-hmm, brought the wedding forward, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, right. um, but it was a very long pregnancy, two and a half years. <laughs> 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 Unheard of. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's how we uh, we met, and uh, yeah, is that your story, question? That yeah, was a question. It was, no, yeah. I think the question was just how long was it between when you became Christians and after you got married? That was all, and yeah. and you said so. So Stuart was obviously, he must have been pretty young then when you got him christened. Cause that's well, it was only a few months old. Yeah. yeah, It was usual to get them christened at six months mm. on one of the conveyor belts. <laughs> in those days, there were so many getting, com- they didn't do them in services. They did them on a Saturday afternoon and they'd probably have, in fact, I went to one where there was about 40-odd kids getting christened that day. And so each, as the minister got to each one, he'd say, what's your family next? And... <laughs> You'd all stand up for your christening and they'd sit down while the next lot stood up for their christening. Just churn them out. Yeah, it was a conveyor belt. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the standard thing everybody did. Yep. Or as I say, 18, 90% of the population, either it were Catholic or mm. Protestant, had the christenings in those days. Uh, the Baptists obviously didn't. They had their dedications. But a similar sort of thing. Yeah. What um, did you, um, from, so you became Christians. And then, you, like, in terms of getting ready for Stu's christening, what changed for you then when you became a Christian? Because you obviously started going to church and you hadn't well, been to church regularly we, except we, for four, when you are in four wheels. Yeah, but, uh, well, yeah, we did. And, uh, no, no, it really meant something to us to be a Christian. So that's why we, as I say, in two weeks we were teaching Sunday school. Six months later I became a deacon of the church, you know. <laughs> I mean, because it was a very small church. Mm. And... Uh, uh, we just if if it needed doing, we do it. So she was running the girls' club, and, yeah. uh, and I've got to say that hasn't changed. And I was like using since. yeah because well, you do the same thing like now. Yeah. you well, and Bev, you clean the you clean our church, and you do yeah. so many other things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was treasurer of that church too in the end too, and, uh, and treasurer of the Sorrowville Church as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Garmy of Anglican, and okay. the Uniting Church down in Narendra. Right. That was a funny story. Do you want yeah, to hear that yeah, one? Yeah, so you moved to Narendra at some point, didn't you? Yeah, in the bank. I got transferred as uh, manager down there at Narendra. How old, how old were your kids then? Was Greg born there as well? Born oh, there yeah, well? yeah, yeah. They were both in primary school. Okay. Uh, and uh, I had to teach them that they weren't allowed to talk about uh, Gaimir Bay and Gaimir. Back in Gaimir, we do this, Gaimir, you know, because it didn't work with pommies. Uh, you couldn't tell uh, people, uh, you know, as a pommy, that uh, if you uh, if you said anything about England being better for anything, you were castigated, sort of thing. Oh, I mean, Australians would say that to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Be- Bev got so upset when we first started courting mm. because she got sick of the pommy jokes because because she's got Scottish and English heritage. Is yeah, that but right? she was born here. Yeah, okay. she was third, fourth generation or something. Right. But she has got Scottish generation supposed to be uh, uh, descended from John Knox, the start of the Presbyterian Church. Oh, really? Mm. Right. You've heard interviewed him. Did you get these stories? No, <laughs> I wasn't on that. I wasn't oh, on that right. one. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Only but, hear uh, them properly. Yeah. <laughs> not, no, not, no, the no, Bev, not the Bev didn't uh, sell uh, them properly. Her uh, 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 mother's maiden name was Knox. Okay. And uh, all the people in the family, the eldest in the family was always called John Knox. Mm. But uh, when we came to Sutherland Shire, because that's where we came to, uh, the Caring Bar, um, people that went in the bank, uh, I got into town and when... Uh, in 1964, I got into town, into York Street, and all the people there were saying, where do you live? And I'd say, oh, Caring Bar, and they'd say, where's that? It was one of those suburbs that was new to them, and they didn't know where it was, you mm. know. Uh, just like we've got them now in the western suburbs and in the southwestern suburbs. There's some suburbs I don't even know what they call them, sort yeah. of thing, you know. And uh, they... Um, so I used to say in the end, because that's why a lot of us used to call it Sutherland Shire down in the Sutherland Shire, you know, because they knew where the Sutherland Shire was. They right. knew where Sutherland and Cronulla were. Because so Naranja is out west. Oh, no, sorry, I've, I've lost that bit first, so I've gone back to this other thing. That's okay. Yeah. Now, the, the, so what I was going to say was that uh, uh, as far as Sutherland Shire was concerned, I used to, when the people said to me, where do you live, I used to say North Shore. Oh, did you? And they'd say... Oh, whereabouts? I'd say, down in Sutherland Shire, carrying back. <laughs> and they'd say, that's not the North Shore. I'd say, yeah, it is. It depends what river you're talking about. <laughs> we can see the Acking River from our, like, yard, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, We're on the shore. They, they, didn't, they didn't like that. <laughs> but no, going back to Narendra, we. Um, Sorry, we should just um, locate Narendra. That's in country New South Wales? Yes, it's in the Riverina. Okay. Slap bang in the middle, actually. It's, half, it's virtually halfway between uh, Wagga and Griffith. Okay. Right in the, what was the wheat belt and then the, yeah, rice and a, stuff and Collyambly and whatever. And that was a promotion? Oh, yeah, I got a man. I was my manager there, right. yeah. And uh, so we went down and Stu and, Stu and Greg realised that there was other places than Gaimia Bay. Mm. You know, just the same as so many youngsters today don't really know that there's anywhere other than Kiriwi, Sutherland Shire, you know, until later on in the life. Well, you like know. when you came across on the ship? Well, when thing. I went now, well, my first one was going to Ch Chesterfield. Oh, right. And I found out that they yeah. didn't talk the same as I did, yep. you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it widens the horizons and... We'd told them that they weren't allowed to talk about back here and for the first six months anyway, until they got friends sort of thing, you know, because of what I'd gone through as a pomp, right. whatever you. And, uh, but they really, really learnt a lot down there, going out on the farms and riding the tractors and stuff <laughs> and racing the motorbikes and whatever. <laughs> but uh, anyway, <laughs> I don't know exactly what they got up with sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what about being a Christian moving over there? Because you, you become a Christian. Well, uh, we, in the we decided we, we needed a church. Well, yeah. we'd already started going to Gaimia Anglican. I was already teaching Sunday school there. And I went to Jack Derrett and I said, uh, uh, Jack, we're going, we're leaving. I'm sorry, but I'm only going for two years and we'll be back. And uh, I said, but uh, we're going down to Narendra. And he said, well, he said, you had a lot of trouble. Uh, Adjusting to the bobbing up and down here, Pete. He says you got fat chance down there because <laughs> 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 it was our church. And yeah. we, we went round looking at the church. We got there on the Friday, on the Saturday we drove around the churches and uh, we uh, the Anglican church at the time didn't have a Sunday school. Had a crucifix outside, and the main thing was it didn't have a Sunday school. 
I wasn't going to go somewhere where the kids couldn't go to Sunday school sort of thing, or Bev and I wouldn't go. So we ended up going to back to the Uniting Church because we'd had a look at that, and uh, they got two different services, one for the Presbyterians and one for the Uniting Church, and so they'd obviously got problems, <laughs> we said. <laughs> and uh, the Methodist Church only opened twice a month, couldn't find the Baptist Church, it was in a house somewhere. And so uh, we went to the Uniting Church on the Sunday morning and uh, we're sitting in a row, the four of us, and uh, this lady turned around at the end of the service and said to Bev, oh, hi, are you new in town or are you just passing through? <laughs> and Bev said, oh, no, my, my, my husband's the, uh, he's the uh, new manager at the National Bank. And she didn't say anything else to us. She stood up, turned around and said, hey, everybody, our, answers, our prayers are answered. We've got our new treasurer. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the case? You took it? Did oh, you yeah, I took it. it. I took it. And then on the Monday, uh, the local news agent, there was only one in town, uh, the local news agent came in and uh, he uh, introduced himself. And he's, during the conversation, he said, uh, I said you'll, you'll have seen that there's the Lions Club in town. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, no, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't even gone through the list yet, you know. And he said, ah, oh, yeah, he said, well, the meeting's on Wednesday night and the manager is usually the treasurer. He said, so we'll expect you at so-and-so time. And uh, so I'd been there less than a week and I was treasurer of two organisations. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we did find, uh, from my experience, I mean, Bev joined the Christian Women's thing, uh, organisation, and uh, they made her treasurer because they knew I'd do the job. And uh, we found that the... Country people were very, very good at using temporaries, if you can, if, and it was a great way to get into the community. Um, we bought a little wardrobe at the local shop, which was unusual. People didn't buy it locally; they went to Cog uh, Griffith or Wagga, you know, get them cheaper. And uh, we bought the wardrobe because we'd had built-ins at Guymere, and. Uh, uh, the guy that delivered it, he, he, he stood there and he said to Bev, what do you think about, after he'd already laughed at her for putting Patterson's Curse on the dining room table, you know. <laughs> it was a lovely purple flower, I don't know whether you know it. No. And there's an, it looked lovely, and so she picked some and put it on the table. It's a curse down there. Oh, is it? It's farmers and everything. It's called Patterson's Curse. Wow. But um, the... Um, that went right around town too. Mm. But uh, everything goes around town. In the country so, town. Yeah. So he, uh, he said to Bev, what are you thinking of Andrew? And she said, uh, uh, very, very, she's always oh, a lovely little town. I think we're going to enjoy it. It's pretty. And, and she said a few different things. And uh, he said, oh, that's right. He said, I've just done the same thing for the Bank of New South Wales manager and his wife up there. She said, and I asked her, and she said, oh, it's a bit, dirt, a bit dirty and it's a bit small. And she rubbed her nose up. He says, so I told her, get on your push bike and get out of town. <laughs> Pack your bags and get out yeah. of town. Well, that went round too, mm -hmm. see. So if you're going to go into country, do things to meet them halfway. Yeah. You know, because they're not going to come to you otherwise. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was our experience, you mm -hmm. know. So we had a good time down there. I mean, when I went down there, they knew I was coming from the city. So they knew I had to start from fairly basic stuff, yep. you know. 
when I opened my mouth and they heard the accent, they knew they had to start from scratch. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, I, I stood, I put my, put my foot on this piece of machinery at the first farm I went to and I said, and where's this scarifier you just bought then, Matt? And he says, you got your bleeding foot on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I had a few of those sort of yeah. stories, you know. So that's part of your work at the bank. And that was the question I was going to ask you. So you've worked as part of National Australia Bank pretty much all your life. Is that is No, that no, I did 25 years there. Okay. I started in the bank and then I uh, got up into regional management and uh, uh, can't do that anymore. You can't start from the bottom and just work right up. But uh, we used to have a CEO that uh, he started as a junior. Did small studies as well, but he he started as a junior and ended up mm-hmm. as the CEO of the National Bank. You know, and he said, "I'm the last," because uh, we started taking trainees in from the universities and so forth. You yeah. Know? Uh, and then I, we got the opportunity to buy a Christian bookshop uh, at right. um, Bankstown. Uh, we used to frequent the place well because uh, I was uh, in regional management at the national uh, at uh, Bankstown. We controlled all the branches down to uh, Barrel and out to Cabramatta. This is after you come back from Narendra. Oh yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I had a three-year stint at Miranda. Okay. Uh, no, two-year stint at Miranda. Three years at Marrickville. Two years at Hurstville before that. In between, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you move around. You keep going to the bigger branches, sort of thing. You know. And uh, then we had 200-odd staff in the regional, from the regional office there. I controlled the lending for 24 managers and this sort of jazz, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so that was, um, that was the way it, uh, it went. But I'd, they wanted me to go into state or up country again. And uh, I, I was on this special program that they were saying that that's probably where I'll be going and so forth. I had an, eight, uh, an interview every six months with the... New South Wales state manager, and uh, yeah, I decided I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to take the kids out of school, and I did, again, in keep, years, move, keep moving. Yeah, uh, year te- year, there would have been year twelve and year ten at this stage. By the time I had to move, sort of thing, you know. I was manager at Miranda Branch when it was outside, twenty odd staff on it, and that sort of thing. Yep. But uh, we. Uh, I decided not to do it, and then this guy taps me on the shoulder, old Cess, and he was the previous owner uh, of the shop, and uh, he said, we're retiring, we're selling the shop. And I said, oh, I'll have to come and chat to you, Matt, because I was with friends at the time, from the colleagues, you know, from the bank. So that afternoon I went back in and had a chat with him and decided to retire from the bank and uh, buy a Christian bookshop in Bankstown. <laughs> it's a bit of a change. Yeah. From banking yeah. to retail. Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah, you, um, a lot different. Just before you get on the Christian Bookshop, what's it like at the time that you were a uh, manager and uh, in many different situations in the bank? What's it like being a Christian in that part of that time? I got a lot of apologies from people later on that uh, uh, when they swore in front of me, they'd mm. say, oh, sorry, Pete. Oh, sorry about like that. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we used to have a little thing, the where the one way sign came from. The one way sign came from uh, the Jesus people in uh, America. Mm. And I used to wear a little badge. I, I got my fellowship group of about 100 kids at uh, Woolaware. I, I built up a youth group there for about 100 kids or something. We only had 30 members. <laughs> and uh, we, um, 
we all used to wear, I used to challenge them to wear this badge, so I used to do it. And I remember going to a function one time and my boss at the time was dancing with Be- my wife and uh, he said to Bev, he says, he says, I admire Peter, he stands up for his faith. Mm-hmm. Are, I always made sure everybody knew I was a Christian and I always used to ask them all they thought Jesus was, sooner or later, you know, uh, because I think that's probably why we... We lost a lot of friends when we first became Christians because we, I think we were a little bit too, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we didn't think so. We just said, it's great, great being a Christian sort of thing, you know. Mm. Why don't you come along to church and stuff? Of course, they didn't all want to do that. But, uh, yeah, uh, it was. I didn't find I was ever really penalised. There was people that, you know, ridiculed. There was mm. people that said, oh, you're stupid. Uh, but... Uh, I don't, uh, I don't recall uh, ever thinking that I wish I hadn't said something that I was a Christian. You know what I mean? And that helped a lot when I was wearing that badge because people would say, what's the badge for? Yep. And you say, oh, it's the one way to get to heaven. Mm. You know, like you guys do with the one-way sign. Yeah. You know? We actually finish every podcast like that to get yeah. ready when we, when we wrap it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I, I found, um, you know, you, you, you have to stand up. You have to, uh, um, it got a lot easier when you got into positions of authority, right? But, uh, I mean, when I was much younger, before I got married and whatever, uh, I uh, I wasn't a Christian sort of thing, sort of thing. So it didn't matter, you know, I was just one of the boys. Uh, mm. Went out drinking with them and what have you, and that got me out of the army anyway. But, uh, you know, that story. Do you want me to tell that story? Why not? Why not? Um, I was in the very nice, I'd only been here a year, and we had to, oh, everybody that was turning 20 in the following year had to, uh, had to register for the National Service the oh, first call up in for for Vietnam. Vietnam. Mm. And so my birthday was pulled out, so was three of my friends. And, uh, I can remember one time we were marching in and out of the Wynyard station there when the ladies used to sit at the, I don't know whether that was in your time, but the, the old ladies used to sit at the thing to take the tickets and whatever, you know. Oh, okay. We were marching in and out singing, we were in the army now and all that sort of jazz. And they said, that's enough, get off for them. <laughs> <laughs> that's enough, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, uh, I went to a medical and uh, tried to convince him I got three legs and uh, flat feet, <laughs> he didn't believe me. And uh, I didn't want to go to Vietnam sort of thing, you know. Mm. And uh, I, I, we'd had a few beers and I'm allergic to something in beer, so it sets me a fever off. Right. In those days I used to take tablets before I went drinking. You know? yeah. But uh, I um, started to sneeze a bit and he says, you got a bit of a cold coming on, Pete. I said, nah, it's just me a fever. I never had it in England, but I got it here, you know. And he said... Uh, he said, oh, he says, you should have told us. I said, why? It's just hay fever. He says, well, you can't have you sneezing in the jungle, Matt. <laughs> so he, they confirmed with the doctor. I'd had a week off about a month earlier and I was under the doctor for the hay fever and whatever because of what, I'd, uh, uh, what I was going through. And so I found my medical so I didn't have to go into Vietnam. Oh, well. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I thought this was a great country, you know, but I mean... After a year, they called you up in the army, but that was different. <laughs> yeah, very different. Wow. 
So, so you kind of dodge life it. is life is not a straightforward mm. everything going rosy. No. You just have to face the realities of what's happening and uh, get on with it. You know. So let's go back to the Christian bookshop. Yeah. Why did you for th- nearly twenty years we run that? Did you? Mm. And how was that different to being a bank manager? And then also, did you do you see it as an evangelistic opportunity? Well, definitely the latter. Yeah. Uh, the the first thing we noticed was that uh, we thought that because we were going into a Christian organisation, and there's all these other Christian bookshops and all the suppliers and all the all supposedly Christian sort of thing, you mm. know, and uh, we thought, oh, it's going to be so much different to working in the secular world. Uh, the only difference was that. Uh, they tended to pray together before they stabbed each other in the back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> human nature never changed, just yeah, the same right. as it doesn't when you come to church. Yeah, it's still sinful. You know, we're all sinful. And uh, so in one respect, it was no good. We, we did have the big trouble of the category killers. Um, you know, the classic category killer that people will know out there is uh, Bunnings. <laughs> you used to have a hardware store in every suburb. Yeah. There was, you know, but virtually the mi- every single suburb had a hardware store. Kind of the story of Mitre 10, for example. They, there was one in all the... Mm. You know, all the That's right, exactly. Mm. Well, the Christian bookshop, we we had a Kurung Books and then Word. Uh, Word was one of our suppliers and then they went into opposition from us. Okay. Uh, they'd opened up in Sutherland there. But uh, one of their to- ranches... But they then closed because they couldn't even compete with Kurong. Uh, he um, he learnt very early to buy overseas and cut out the middleman here, and we were told we couldn't do that. We had to buy from Scripture Union. Used to have a uh, wholesale arm called Bookhouse Australia, and they sold most of the books here in Australia uh, from Zondervan and Harper Collins and all those sort of people, yep. and uh, they had contracts. And all the overseas people broke the contracts to deal with Kurong because he put checks for half a million, $500,000 and this sort of thing on the table and said, I want X, Y, Z, sort yeah. of jazz, you know. And so, uh, yeah, he, uh, I mean, we got to know Paul fairly well. My Gregory, my other son, he actually worked for him for a couple of years as a, as a music manager, you know, right. Christian music. Because mm. that was when he was a DJ and stuff. And... Uh, yeah, it was um, a situation where we formed, we formed a, a buying group of 39 stores around Australia to try and buy overseas and cut, um, did our own catalogue and uh, what have you. Bev designed the catalogue and we had a, 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 what do they call those guys that turned uh, it all up and what have you, but anyway. Designer, graphic designer. Yeah, yeah. That's something like that. And... Uh, so, uh, and we used to, uh, we had one of the suppliers at Sutherland, uh, Albatross Books, that allowed us to use their warehouse on the weekends. So we'd be in there, I even learned to drive a tow truck then. <laughs> no, not a tow truck, what's uh, Forklift. Forklift. Yep. Um, yeah. And they, uh, so we were able to use that and send all this, import it from overseas and send it out to the 39 stores around Australia. Mm. But that was the, cat, that was the killer the postage and everything, you know. These people that took it. Uh, at that time, I don't know what it's like now, but at that time, to post in Australia cost you at least $5 for every book you sent, right? Um, 
except in bulk. But if you just sent a normal book, it would cost about $5 postage. And Amazon and those sort of people, uh, yeah. I've, I've got free. Because they had a situation where the post office had uh, an agreement with the overseas post offices. You charge your fees for your side and then we'll deliver for free here and you deliver ours for free over there. Oh. So that was in America and in England and I don't know where else. Uh, so when they came in from America, they were delivering it for free. <laughs> and the terrific rates they got in America and England because of the bulk stuff sort of thing, you know. Okay. So we couldn't, couldn't compete with that. Mm -hmm. So of those 39 stores now, I think there's about four or five that's left. Yeah. That last time I checked, there was about four or five left out of the 39. All the Christian books. There used to be a Christian bookshop at Caring Bar, one at Sutherland, you know, one at Janali. Mm. Um, that's it. I mean, it's the whole industry, isn't it? It's changed. From retail traders. Mm. Uh, the Retail Traders Association in the year 2000, we went to a seminar and uh, they said that most of the strip shops will be closed in 10 years' time. Mm. What they weren't allowing for was that most of the strip shops then got gyms and doctors and lawyers <laughs> and all sorts of things. Yep. But the actual shops are virtually all gone. Yeah, just be like companies like Amazon and... Uh, oh, not only that, but I mean, just Miranda Fair opening. Yep. Uh, that opened when, 66, I think it was. Um, before that, we had to go to Roselands. That was the first uh, supermarket, uh, you know, one of those shopping, shopping centres. Because I remember my mother going and buying a t mum and dad going and buying a TV over at Roselands and being very proud of the mm. price they got for it. <laughs> <laughs> got it for it's just like the uh, transistor. Yeah. The next step up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But uh, no, it's uh, it's interesting uh, the cha the changes we've seen and uh, the changes in Australia. Mm. Some for fantastic. I mean, we're doubling the knowledge of medical science every five years, aren't we, or something? And I mean, it's just unbelievable. Mm what's happening uh, but uh, I'm not sure where we're headed to except Christ coming back yeah right I like that um, after the do you retire after the Christian bookstore no no I would I was approached by the Anglican retirement villages uh, that's right to uh, to manage the Woolaway Shores village that was when I was 61 mm. so I uh, and we were selling the shop anyway, virtually giving it away. But um, they um, they employed me then till I was 70. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I worked as the uh, manager at that village down there and did a stint of three months at both villages, that one and Donald Robinson. And uh, yeah. Is, it, is that a different perspective? And like uh, even in the Christian bookstore or even at the at being working at the bank you're not really having to deal with a lot of old people that are towards the end of their lives well Is I think I think the Lord has been very good to me mm. I've told you this before I think you know I mean I tell my stories I bore people to death <laughs> and so when I was in the bank I used to transfer every couple of years and I'd have a whole new lot of staff and a whole new lot of uh, customers to tell me stories to. It was wonderful. <laughs> and then I got a Christian bookshop for 17 years and uh, I had all these people coming in. I could tell me stories even more. 
Mm-hmm. And then I became a manager at uh, a retirement village. And some of the people there, I could tell the same story two to three or four times, you know, in a week. <laughs> <laughs> so God's been very good to me. Mm. That's, that's why I have to be very careful when I get here. <laughs> the church? <laughs> yeah, not, 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 not to try and bore everybody today. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we get it on the podcast. We can get it out and then you can, we can give it to everyone. So oh, they can, if they you can want see. some more stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the question I was going to ask you? I've forgotten, but... Um, uh, just in terms of working with people that are older yeah. and being a Christian, is that a different perspective that you need to adopt there? Because you're telling old people more stories, but they're towards the end of their life. And yeah. Well, I used to tell people they should cram for the finals <laughs> in the uh, retirement village. Uh, you know, if, they were, if we could chat. I, I, I don't go around actually preaching to everybody all the time, yeah. but my, my classic thing is to ask them, who is Jesus? And... Uh, I uh, and and just just ask them where they're coming from. Find out where they're coming from. Well, they've all got ideas. Yeah. Were they more receptive? Some, some not. Mm. Just the same as anywhere else. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I did deliberately try to make sure that, uh, for instance, we had a chapel there with the cross on the wall, and uh, they used to pull the uh, some dividers across, and it became a hall sort of thing, and whatever you. And uh, and then the residents said, why do we bother pulling the thing across, you know, so we didn't. And uh, then my sales team came to me one day and said, uh, we'd like it to pull, pull back because it puts people off walking through there and it looks like a nice room, but then it's uh, got a chapel there sort of thing that's, oh, you know. Okay. And I said, well... Stiff cheddar, mate. I said, if they don't want to, this is a this is a Christian organisation running this thing. I said, and as, as far as I'm concerned, we stand up who we are. Mm. You present who you are, especially as Anglicare. Well, it's Anglicare now. It, no, was, right. it was a separate organisation in those days. I see. Um, the uh, they merged Anglican retirement villages with the Anglicare, still owned by the diocese. Um, mm. And uh, both of them, but it, they were separate organisations. Yeah, okay. But uh, yeah, no, it's. Uh, I don't. I don't think you differentiate really. I mean, you use your common sense. Mm. You know, that's one of the problems with today's society. Common sense is not common, <laughs> uh, as I see it. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to. You've got to try to be a little bit more. Use a little bit more common sense, sort of thing. You know, and. In that instance, it works. In that instance, it doesn't. Mm. For instance, there was a rep came in from Harper Collins, I think he was, and he was a fairly young fellow in the late twenties, and uh, he, I, he said, I, "I don't really believe in all this." He says, "Because I'm an atheist," and I grabbed him on his shoulders and I said, "What? You can prove there's no God?" <laughs> and he, oh, "Wow! How did you do that?" And he says, "Oh well, I can't actually prove it to you." I said, "Oh." How do you know there's no God then? And he says, well, probably I don't. I said, well, maybe you're an agnostic then. Mm. And he said, <laughs> oh, he says, well, yeah, what's well, an agnostic? And I said, it's somebody that don't really know. He said, yeah, I'm one of them. And he pointed out, and so I grabbed his finger. And I said, well, don't you think you owe it yourself to find out? I gave him more books than I bought that day. Yeah, I was going to say. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, we had a long chat, and then he got transferred, and he rang me up, and he said, I'm so sorry I'm not coming back, Pete, because he said, I really wanted more chats with you. Mm. He said, but I'm going to follow this up. So I just challenged where he was at. 
Yeah. And that's what I'm saying to every, anybody. Yeah. You, you, you can't convince anybody to become a Christian. God does that. Yeah. You just challenge where they're at. There's going to be help, helping yeah. it out a little bit. Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I don't have to go to church. Well, Jesus tells you that you should not forsake it because it's something that's important mm. to get that fellowship and everything. Um, you know, they, they've, they've usually got the same sort of standard responses, but they've got, a, they've got an idea what they believe. So you find out what that is and then undermine that if you can. If you can't, well, leave it to God. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I can ask you one more question. Um, yeah, because we've got people coming for tea tonight. Oh, have you? Gosh, my wife. I'm sorry yeah. about that. Sorry, Bev. Sorry, Bev. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my final question is uh, looking over the the broad spectrum of your life, which is like we've only really scratched the surface and we've been going for a while, mm. which is an exciting yeah, thing. than I thought. Yeah, yeah sorry. sorry about that. Well, and it's, it's fine by me. Oh, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Bev. <laughs> uh, I'm prattling. Coming, like looking over that your time of your life, when would you, would there be a time you'd like to go back and tell yourself, uh, maybe do this differently? I mean, I suppose before you were a Christian, you probably want to go back and say, become a Christian. But what about when you're a Christian? Is there a time that you'd like to go back and say, actually, you, you were missing this at the time? Oh, look, I can't say I've done everything right all the way through. Mm. There's lots of situations where I can go back and say, oh, I wish I'd have done this, or oh, I wish I'd have done that, or, you know. Um, because you can't get it all right, you know. But uh, I can't go back because however much I wish I could go back, I can't. Mm. Um, and there are people I wish I'd have tried to convince them sort of situation, you know, a little bit harder maybe. Yeah. Um, but you can't go back. You see, we only get today once. Uh, we don't get a repeat of it later on. We get it today. What are you going to do with it today? If you don't enjoy it today, if you don't do what you can, learn from that and try tomorrow to be a little bit better. You know what I mean? Yep. You can only do it once. And uh, so all the wishing and, you know, oh, I wish we hadn't done this or I wish we... Oh, I sometimes do wish I hadn't done certain things. Ride a, ride a motorbike into a brick wall. And <laughs> <laughs> what a great story that is. <laughs> Do a wall of death on it. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it, I, I took 51 kids to Luna Park one time with fellowship. Me, me and one other guy, we just went, we took them all on the train. And uh, we come back with 49. We never knew who the other two were, but... We knew it was a boy and a girl, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> in those days it was a lot, wow. a lot harder. Uh, but uh, you know, you, 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 there's lots of lots of things. The car accident I had with thirteen kids in the car when I was driving them home from the fellowship. You know, mm. the copper said to the co- the, the uh, kids, "Come on, kids, move along." I said, "I'm terribly sorry, mate, but they're with me." <laughs> <You know? Yeah>. <laughs> 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 Got to get them home properly. We used to stack them in the back of the station wagon. You mm. know, it was just—they all thought it was marvelous. But you wouldn't take those risks if you thought about it, mm. and you wouldn't—you wouldn't do lots of things. I, I can't really say I'm going to say that there's a certain thing that I 
wish I'd never ever done of anything like that because I've got some of them and I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> God, but, God uh, knows though. Yeah, well, that's it. God mm. knows, and that, and that's the, that's the tremendous thing that God does know, and He forgives. He still forgives, and He's uh, and He's in charge. And there's doors there presented. Oh, we've, Bev and I are firm believers in doors presenting and closing. You know, they present in front of you. I got I was presented with that guide saying about the Christian bookshop. Yeah. We prayed about that and everything else and we moved forward as the door opened, sort of jazz, mm. you know. And let God do it. And mm. we after twenty five years in the National Bank I just shifted. Mm. You know? Uh and uh, but it's um, sometimes you look back and think, Well, I'd be a lot better off if I'd have stayed in the bank financially. But we had that tremendous ministry in the shop. Yeah. And so different things. Well, it's been, Does that answer you? Yeah, it's great. I mean, like we talk about at Sora Bible Church, how like the youth in our uh, community are the coalface of change in the in the culture, but then it's also really important to have um, our older generations helping us get through that and to bring the Bible and, and biblical wisdom to bear on those things. So I feel like uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on this podcast oh, and, be part so much, of, and be part of the church. Can I just say something to those kids? Absolutely. You know, my grandmother... Was born in 18, 1879 or eighteen eighty, and she lived till the nineteen sixties. And I stood with her one day and watched the last street gas lights being taken out of Sheffield. And she said to me to remember that day because she remembered them going in. She remembered a time when there wasn't even any street lights right. in that area, you know. And uh, she saw the man land on the moon. Now. She was lovely to talk to, and she had all these different stories and everything else. So I'm asking those young people out there today to talk to their grandparents, mm. not only about their grandparents' childhood, but their great-grandparents' childhood yeah. that they know about, you know? We've traced, out, I've traced, Beth traced my family back to 1804 now, I think it is, and she's back in the 1700s with hers. Uh, but it doesn't take many generations for things to change. It's and getting faster and, and don't faster. Think, and don't think that it's always been like it is today. It's not always been what it is today. Mm. And it may not be the same tomorrow, but God will get you through it all. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So is that all right? That's fantastic. I think we just got the clip from the episode there. It was great. (laughs) 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 Well, thanks for inviting me, Matt. No, thank you very much. And thank you for your encouragement, you as a person and also about God. And we we love you very much. And thank you for... Thank you for being part of our lives. Thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks for allowing me to be. No worries. And as I say, we uh, to finish up, we always wrap up the chips and uh, finish with a one way. So one way. One way. 